We're in Acts chapter 16. We're only looking at five verses today. Acts 16, 11-15. And just as a quick re- review, not, not long, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey uh, went to Cyprus, Antioch, Pisidia, Lystra, Derbe, Iconium. They went to those cities westward because they had a, a heart to fulfill what Jesus said. Hey, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth. And in their mind, the ends of the earth was westward. It was, they were pushing to Asia. That, that's where Paul wanted to go. He wasn't thinking Europe. He wasn't thinking that far west. He was thinking more just Asia, kind of north initially. And, and as he pushed uh, out from Jerusalem and really from Antioch as they were commissioned out of there, Remember what happened. They, they planted churches. They had disciples. And then a controversy arose over the Gospel when they came back and they reported to the, the church. And so they got into a disagreement. They went down to Jerusalem, got clarification. They sent Judas and Silas with a letter saying, no, um, circumcision is not required. Don't add to the Gospel. But be sensitive to those you're sharing with. And they talked about areas of sensitivity in the letter. They went back, Paul says, we need to go visit our brothers, make sure they're not being corrupted with false teaching and they're holding true to the gospel and only the gospel. Barnabas decided to take John Mark. They had a disagreement. John Mark and Barnabas go to Cyprus. And then Paul goes by himself from Antioch, meets Silas on the way, and picks up Timothy over in Lystra and Luke, probably in Troas. He picks up Luke. And we looked at that last week. And remember, as we uh, watched last week, we kind of saw what do you look for when you're looking for somebody younger to invest in for the kingdom, like Paul. As a kingdom priest, we're called to do that. Remember, Paul wrote Timothy, you know, find faithful men who will be able to train others, and you teach them, Timothy. You teach them. And so we, we looked at what do you look for? Remember the characteristics? First of all, God's sovereign hand on them. Two, not only God's sovereign hand, what was the second thing? Anybody remember? Reputation. Huh? Reputation. Yeah, reputation. Timothy had a good reputation, which meant he didn't just know it, he lived it. It wasn't about information. So often you see people, oh, that guy's great. He can tell you this, this, and this, and this. But the question is, is he living it? Does his life match up with his theology? Because if it doesn't, it eventually is going to come out. And that's what you see a lot of times with these megachurch pastors who insulate themselves and they end up living double lives. God's going to surface that stuff eventually because He doesn't have a stomach for it. The third thing, not only is God's sovereign hand and reputation, but what? Teachability. Timothy was teachable. And so that teachability reveals a humility as well. And so we saw that that's what you look for and then you invest. And what did Paul do? He invested in training him in the Gospel. Are we teaching people the Gospel that can pass it forward to other generations? Well, the hope is that we will. But then we also saw that you have to be willing to be led by the Spirit. By the voice of God. 
Now, I'm, I'm 60 years old. I've never heard an audible voice of God tell me to do something in all my life. I've never. But I have been moved by God many times with something sometimes as strong as an audible voice. It just wasn't an audible voice. But it was as strong as my dad sitting there saying, go outside, take out the trash. It was that strong. It just wasn't audible. And how was I sensitive enough to that to be able to discern if that's God or indigestion? Because I was here. I was here. I was here. When you spend time with Him and you spend time in His Word, you become sensitive to His voice. You become sensitive enough to say, okay, and, and it's, it's almost like He can move you to do something that He's already planning to do. And then when you, you ask Him for it, and, then, and you ask for wisdom and discernment, He gives it to you and you do it, and you're like, wow, that's really cool how that worked out. He wants us to put our faith in Him. And, and God was teaching Paul, Paul, I don't want you to go this place. I don't want you to go this place. I want you to go here. Troas, Troas, that's, I can't go any further. There's the Aegean Sea out there. I want you to sit there. And then a Macedonian man says, help. Now, in our culture, the Macedonian guy, <laughs> that doesn't really ring a lot for us. Like, like bells don't go off for us when we hear a Macedonian man calling for Paul to come and help them. But I want you to think for a second. This is like somebody from Oxford or Harvard, somebody from MIT, calling Billy Graham, saying, man, some physicist going, man, I need help figuring out life. Calling this country guy from North Carolina to help him figure out life. This physicist, this astrophysicist from MIT. That's what that's like. When a Macedonian man calling an Israelite saying, hey, come help us. That's really what was going on there. Why? Because we have the answers. We have the answers. The other night, um, The Chosen did a live stream to talk about season three coming out. And on the live stream, they showed a video that I almost didn't watch. It was a, a human trafficking story. And I've seen them and I... I just was busy doing some other things, but Lori and I decided to watch that and not fast forward through it. And we were watching it, and it moved me. I mean, I, I was so, it, it disturbed me. I don't know if you watch videos, personal stories sometimes that disturb you. I was so disturbed by what I saw that it made me just want to jump into action to defend people like what that was in the video. Her name was Megan Connors. From the time she was a toddler, she was abused, controlled, used for her body as a toddler. Growing up as an elementary child, she never had elementary life like you and I know elementary school life. She never had junior high life like you and I had junior high life. She never had high school life. She was in the sexual exploitation business all through that. She tried to get away, and every time she tried to get away, they beat her up. And they showed pictures of her beaten that they, they were able to put together. 
in the U.S.? Huh? Yes, right here. And she asked the question. She said, I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about church. What kind of God would let me go through this life? And she said, she kept coming back to the question, why am I here? Why am I even here? To go through this? And her story is multiplied thousands of times throughout the world. I'm going to have a guest on Thursday on SWAT Radio who deals with trafficking down in the Dominican Republic. Same thing. All these young women are prostituted out. And, and, and they, they're hurting. They're victims. And they're going, why? Why? Well, a believer with a Bible and the knowledge of Jesus can help them. And that's what happened in Megan's life. Some people came in and they didn't preach at her. They didn't preach at her, you're going to die and go to hell if you don't turn from this lifestyle. She said a lot of people would look at me like I chose this, like this was what I wanted to do. I never wanted to do this. And it was just so sad. She was just exploited and used and abused. And you don't think God hates that? He does. He allows it because of His mercy for everybody. Otherwise, He'd have to wipe everybody off the face of the earth. But He's always had a heart for victims, the fatherless, widows, the vulnerable. And He did with Megan. He, he brought some people into her life that shared the hope of Jesus. They shared with her where we come from, who we are, why the world is broken and injured, what's the solution to it all. And they introduced her in the same way you and I can introduce people to the author, not only of life, but the book he gave us to explain it. That's the hope that we have to give to people. The question is, are we willing, like these people that spoke into Megan's life, willing to get out of our box, out of our comfort zone, to find out where God is working and join Him there? That's really the two principles of this text today. God calls you and me as kingdom priests to get out of our comfort zone and really to get outside of our plans outside of our plans and comfort zone, and also to join Him where He's working. And we see that in Paul's life in this text. You know, this, this text is about Paul going over into Europe. This is, and, you know, he wanted to go to Asia, but God said, no, you're going to go to Europe. He, he wanted to uh, minister to His people. God says, no, you're going to go minister to Gentiles. <clears throat> He wanted to minister to men. God says, no, you're going to go minister to women. Three huge walls for Paul, actually. Big walls. They're not big for me and you, but they were big for him. And so God takes him over to Philippi. Philipp Philippi over in Macedonia. You know, uh, Philippi was named after Philip uh, from Macedon. You know who that was, by the way? If you're a history guy, you do. Yes, the who? Yes, the father of Alexander the Great. 
And who was Alexander the Great? He ruled. He ruled. Philippi was a classical Greek culture. That area is where Thessalonica is. Athens is over there. Corinth. They're all in that area. But they all were dominated by Greek culture because of Alexander. That classic Greek culture is considered the height of culture, isn't it? I mean, like, even today, our colleges, if you want to be the big people on campus, you got to be part of what? A fraternity or sorority. The Greek culture, it, it still influences us. The Greeks abandoned superstitious belief in God's little g for what? Belief that man could eventually find the answer in himself. Hence, Plato, Socrates, others. Let me read you a couple of things that Plato said. And just ask yourself, is this a guy I really want to entrust my soul to? To his philosophy? Some of it wasn't bad, but it ultimately ended up short. Plato said, those who tell stories, who tell these stories, rule society. That's true, right? We see that played out right now. Whoever dominates the story narrative is the one that kind of rules. That's true. But you know what else he said? He said, I'm trying to think. Don't confuse me with facts. <laughs> is that a guy you really want to follow? Who disregards the truth because he doesn't like what it represents to him? What about this? Love is a serious mental disease. That's what Plato says. That doesn't sound like anything vaguely familiar to what God would say in His Word. What about Socrates? Knowledge is our ultimate good. That's what we think if you're human. If you're humanistic, you think that. You think if you can just get the knowledge, then you're going to be all right. Socrates also said the beginning of wisdom is a definition of terms. Is that true? No, I don't think so. What did God say the beginning of wisdom is? The fear of the Lord, yeah. The Greek culture ended up in ruins because they collapsed on their own corruption. They did. They failed to buy into God's truth. They, they didn't buy into it at all. They wanted to create their own philosophy. And they did. And they collapsed. The Greek culture collapsed. You can go see the ruins. Rome did the same thing. Only God could provide what they really sought. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When a man's culture is without Yahweh, it is doomed to fail. It is doomed to fail. You see, they, they were experiencing modernism, which basically says modernism seeks to find truth without God. We've been in a postmodern mindset for, gosh, 60 years now almost. Postmodernism says there is no truth. Don't bother looking. The truth is what you determine it to be. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. You see, without an infinite personal God, we don't have an answer for the universe. 
that is created out of nothing, but yet it has order. We don't have an answer for that apart from an infinite personal God. Without an infinite personal God, we don't have an answer for the value of a man and a woman. Without an infinite personal God, we don't have... We don't have an answer for evil in the world. Without an infinite personal God, we don't have an answer for forgiveness and mercy. We don't have an answer for the future without an infinite personal God. And so, all you have is really short-term answers that are flawed that doesn't even really help most of the time. Because they certainly ain't going to help Megan Connors, a girl who her whole life has been abused. How, How do you give hope to a person like that. Well, some kingdom priest came into her life and did, and she's dying right now from a, a, a disease, some kind of gastrointestinal disease, and it's killing her, and she's in hospice care. But as she's dying, she says she's living for the first time in her life. She has hope, and she knows this is not the end. And you can see a change in her countenance. Only God can do that. Only an infinite personal God. So as God's kingdom priests, we need to get outside of our plans. Get out of our comfort zone. We need to find where he's working and join him. And so let's read the text and kind of look as we go through these verses, only five, what God's word says, starting in verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed among us, upon us. May God bless the reading of his word. Verse 11 says that they set sail from Troas, not going to Asia, but to Europe. I want you to think for a second what was going on. So they were in Troas, 156 miles away from Neapolis, which was the port city of Philippi. And it says, Luke says, they made a direct voyage. In other words, they had the wind behind them. It was a two-day journey to get there. It was 156 miles in some kind of small boat that they went. Some kind of small sailboat. Now, you know, today, if we think about that in modern terms, that's not that big a deal. But this ain't a boat made in America or made, you know, somewhere... We're talking about one of their older boats of that time period, and they made it 156 miles in two days. And they got there and hit the ground running, went eight miles 
10 miles up to Philippi, and that's where this all took place. When, when Paul said, okay, God, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow this vision to Macedonia. God says, okay, I'm going to help you out. You got them there quickly. And that's what I see a lot of times. When, when you finally stop pushing against God in His plan, and you go with His plan, you kind of feel the wind behind your back. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but He certainly will provide for you. And so, Paul got there in verse 11. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, they went to Philippi, which was a leading city of the district, and we talked about that. This was a Roman colony. Now, that was significant. You only see that term, I think, here. It, it may be one other place, but I think this is the only place that's mentioned because a Roman colony was different than having a Roman legion where you were. When, when a place was designated a Roman colony, it invited certain privileges, one of which you self-governed. You didn't have some guy from Rome that was over you that was reporting back. You, you kind of did your own thing. It was very loosely governed by Rome, if at all. There was no tribute given to Caesar, which was huge. And yet these people had rights of Roman citizens because it was a colony. And so a lot of the military guys who, when they would retire, would go there. And it says that they remained what? They remained there in the city some days. Why? What were they waiting for? I mean, what, what, why did they wait? It says they, they were there. Why weren't they... What were they doing? It says they just waited. Kind of seems like a waste, doesn't it? God gets them all the way across the, the Aegean Sea. Then they got there, and then they wait. What are, what are they waiting for? Wait for instructions from God what to do. Well, what was Paul's... and what, what did Paul always do when he went to a city? First thing he did when he went to a city, what did he do? Went to the he went to the synagogue, right? And when would people be at the synagogue? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. It wasn't the Sabbath. So Paul was waiting with Luke, with Timothy, with Silas for the Sabbath because it says, and on the Sabbath, verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate. We, again, who's writing this? Luke. Luke is right there with them. We went outside the gate to the riverside. Why did they go to the river? There was no synagogue because you had to have 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. And so, but that doesn't explain why they went to the river. Why would they go to the river? When, when they would meet to pray and meet at the synagogue, what always had to be nearby? Water. Running water. Living water. They called it living water. Because what did they do there, Tim? You've been to Israel with Yeah, they cleansed. What's it called? Do you remember what it's called? Mikvah. They mikvah. So when a Jewish person realized they had not been following God, they had been struggling, they had made mistakes, they would go to the temple, they would confess that they, they, you know, they needed cleansing, and they would cleanse themselves by going in, baptizing themselves in the mikvahs to cleanse and say, okay, 
I'm symbolically washing away that. I don't want to be like that anymore. It's kind of a renewal. So they would go to where there was living water. And in this case, it was the river. And so they go down to the riverside and they supposed there would be a place of prayer. Uh, and that's what they were looking for, a place of prayer. Just, this place of prayer in the Greek is called prosuke. And it's just a, simply a place where there would be a gathering of people praying. And it says that we sat down and spoke to the women who had come down together. Nothing about men there. No men. No men there. Where are the men? Where's God's men? There ain't no synagogue. Too busy. Playing croquet or something. They're not there. It's women. Guys, this is an indictment to God's people. It's an indictment. Where are the men? Where are the men fighting for Megan Connors? Where are the men standing up and saying, guys, we've got to stop this. This is wrong. Why are we not hearing more leaders step up and say, we've got to stop this stuff. We've got to be more active in sharing our faith. We've got to be serious about this. We're just content to let the women do it. And they were. And the women were there. And, and, and so notice though, guys, you've got to understand for Paul, this is getting him out of his comfort zone a lot. He's already gotten out of his comfort zone. He wanted to go to Asia and God said, no, I'm sending to Europe. A lot of pagans over there. But he went. You've got to go to a Roman colony. A Roman colony? The Romans are pigs. The Romans are perverse. He had to get out of his comfort zone to go there. There's no synagogue. No synagogue? Who am I going to talk to? Who's going to know the Word? Well, there's a prayer gathering down by the river. Okay, I can do that. Wait, where's the men? No men? you got to remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know what the Pharisees used to say? They used to say, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, a tax gatherer, or a woman. That's what the Pharisees would say. So you think that was a stretch for Paul to go down there? Not go to men, not go to a synagogue, but to go to women sitting on a hillside by a river. Yeah, he was out of his comfort zone. But you know what? It says Paul didn't preach. It doesn't say, like in other places, he preached Caruso. It's a different word here. He sat down. He had a conversation with these women. He still shared the Gospel, but he did it differently. He did it differently. You see, in this culture, women had no right to change their religious faith apart from their husband's approval. So this is the first time that a religious faith comes along and gives women in this culture a choice to worship with no restrictions or constraints from their husband, guys. This is where God is planting His flag in the Greek culture. And He does it with women. So all these people in our culture that say Paul is anti-women, 
that, that God is anti-women. Look at, we just covered last week, who did He appear to? Who were the ones who were the witnesses? Even though they couldn't be a witness in the culture, God said, I'm going to make them the primary witnesses of the resurrection. Who's the primary people? This is the flag planting at Iwo Jima for God in the Greek culture, guys. And it's not Marines, it's women who are holding up the Christian banner here. Because Paul sits down. And these are exiled. Exiled women who were there. Where's the men? They're not there. But Paul sits down with them, shares the Gospel. He, he sees God working, and he says, okay, God, I'm going to take what I can get here. And sometimes, guys, that's what you do. You have an idea. This is what it's going to look like. He says, no. So you just take what you get and you work with it. And that's what he did. He sat down. You know, Galatians 3 says, there is no Jew, Gentile. There's no slave nor free. There's no male or female. You're all one in Christ. And what that means is, in the body of Christ, women are equal in value than men. And they can have their own personal relationship with God apart from a man saying they can or can't. And that's, that's what that means. But there are different roles for men and women in the church. But that's not what that verse is addressing. That, role, that verse is addressing the value of men and women, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. That's what it's saying. Because we're one in Christ. And so Paul's first European convert is a woman named Lydia. It's, it's interesting that her name is Lydia from the city of Thyatira. You know what the city of Thyatira's ancient name was? It was Lydia. And so, this is really Lydia from Lydia. And it might be, could be, that they just called this businesswoman Lydia because she was from there. Like, for instance, when we moved here in 2010, I had a, my youngest son, Ryan, was a football player. And so he played at Ponte Vedra High School football there, and we moved from Texas. And you know what his nickname was? Texas. Everybody on the team didn't know him as Ryan. They knew him as Texas. So I hear Texas. I'm like, who, who are they talking to? He goes, oh, that's what they call me. Because he was from Texas. And in the same way, it could be that she was from Lydia, so they just they, they started off the woman from Lydia and then just called her Lydia. And it just stuck. And so Lydia is there, and it says she's a seller of purple goods. Now, she was a businesswoman, and uh, uh, Thyatira or Lydia was famous for purple dye. And it was very expensive because they literally got it drop by drop from a shellfish. It's what they were able to get and then make the purple dye and they did it for expensive clothing. Only wealthy people could have the purple clothing, the purple dyed clothing and royalty. So this was a lady that was used to dealing with wealthy people and she had a successful business. <coughs> And over in Thyatira, they had a pretty large synagogue, and apparently she became a God-fearer there because it says she was a worshiper. And as we look at verses 14 and 15, I just want to point out a few things about Lydia as this story unfolds. Um, first of all, she sought God. She was a worshiper. Now, you don't seek God unless He draws you. The Bible's clear about that in John chapter 6. 
John 6, uh, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But there is a responsibility on our part to seek him when that happens. And that's what happened. First of all, she sought God. Second, she shamed God. Remember what shema means? What does it mean? To shema something? Yes, a hearing that produces an action. Notice it says that one who heard us, heard us was a woman named Lydia, who was a worshiper. The Lord opened her heart to what? Pay attention to what was said. This is not somebody that's rolling her eyes as Paul's talking. Somebody who's fallen asleep as Paul's talking. Somebody who's not paying attention. She paid attention. She heard. John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And here's the interesting thing. John 7.17 says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. In other words, when God sends somebody into somebody's life that's His, that has not yet bowed their knee to Him, and that person is telling them about God, they are going to be drawn to that and they're going to yield to it. And I've seen it in India. So when people come up to you and say, yeah, but what about the person in Africa who's never heard or the person in India who's never heard or the person in the Middle East who's never heard who grew up in a Muslim culture? Listen, if that person will respond, God's going to get the message to them. Lydia shamed it when she heard it here on the, the riverbank. She heard it. She gave her heart to him right there. She shamed it. She was a Gentile woman who turned to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Moses, Yahweh. And verse 14 says it. She opened her heart to pay attention and after she was baptized. When someone was baptized, they had surrendered. Because baptism in that culture meant you just aligned yourself with the way. You just aligned yourself with the followers of the way. The ones who killed Jesus were against the way. The Romans knew about the way. So now, she put her business on the line. She put everything on the line to say, I want to be identified with the way. She surrendered. Jesus said in Luke 9, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses or forfeits himself? She was bold. She was public. And she got baptized. <coughs> I, I know people here in the States, in, in, in Jacksonville, that won't get baptized because they're just like, they don't want to be out in front of people. They don't want anybody to see them baptized. But they call themselves Christians. I say, yeah, and, and it's not that baptism makes them a Christian, but we're to be baptized, we're to be obedient and identified with Christ in baptism, following in obedience. And it just makes me wonder, why are they so timid about being baptized? What is it about being identified? Are they embarrassed? Are they embarrassed? She, she wasn't. She was bold. She was public. So she sought God, she shamed God, she surrendered to God, but you know what else she did? She shared God's gospel. 
First thing she does is go back to her home, tell all the people that work there and the people that are family there, hey, this Jesus is the Messiah. Let me tell you about Him. And she did. She shared the Gospel. And it says her whole household was baptized. She was an influence in her house for Christ. Her household as well. This is, this is called the household chapter because here we're going to see it in a, a few verses later. We're going to see the jailer do the same thing. Him and his household. Why? Because God is building His church in Europe. You are here today because of this. Because of this ministry. And God is starting the church at Philippi, which a lot of commentators believe it was the best church Paul started. And it was started by women. Isn't that funny? But Paul hates women. That's what I've heard. Paul's a crazy guy. He puts women down. Why? Because Paul teaches that there's roles. There's roles for men and women within the church. And when he wrote Timothy and he wrote Titus, he said, this is who leads the church. There's roles for men. There's roles for women. doesn't have anything to do with value. And you've got lots of churches today that just chuck that. I don't like that. Doesn't, doesn't go with my culture. Doesn't sit very well. And so they depart from that. Listen, when you depart from God's Word in one area, why bother keeping any other area? And so she was bold and she shared with her household. They got baptized. And finally, she served God's kingdom first. She put God's kingdom above her own business because you know what she did right away you're talking about Paul and Barnabas these are not just lightweight lower level guys these are guys that when they walk into a room you know these guys are serious about what they're doing and she says hey stay with me stay here at our house we want to learn we want to grow I want you to stay and obviously, they tried to say, no, we, we can stay somewhere else. She says, listen, you judge me faithful, stay here. And it says, she prevailed upon us. In other words, this was, this, have you ever met a woman like this won't take no for an answer? <laughs> she wasn't taking no. She said, you're going to stay? She went into that mama mode. You're going to stay right here and I'm going to feed you some supper. Now sit down. This woman was a very successful businesswoman who is now a Jesus woman. I don't believe she gave up her business, by the way. But this was the church at Philippi. It, it, Paul loved this church. If you go read his book to the Philippians, he's writing to the people that are here. In fact, let's go there real quick. Acts, I mean, go over to Philippians chapter 1. This is to the people at Philippi. And like I said, a lot of people think that this was the best church Paul started. They, it was the most giving, the most mission-minded. And it did have problems. And if you go to chapter 4, do you know who the problem was with? Euodia and Syntyche. Two women who were probably 
early on members of the church. And they, they were having issues. But you know who else was there? Well, we'll see that in a minute. Let's read this, what Paul says. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. What we just read about is the first day. And they had a partnership. And over and over in this letter, you hear Paul thanking them for partnering, for giving. They were a very giving church. And I have to believe that Lydia was a big part of that. This woman who had interacted with very wealthy people, who had been very blessed, said, I'm going to honor God. And she honored God above her business. She served God. She said, listen, you guys come stay with me. What could have happened? Well, the, the Romans there, the, the people there, the, the magistrates there could have said, these guys are troublemakers. We're going to confiscate your property because that's what they did in those cultures. They didn't, they didn't have any ability if she was an She was an outsider. She wasn't even from there. She was from Thyatira. She was from Asia. By the way, don't you think it's interesting? Paul wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go to Asia. And God says, no, you're going to go to Philippi. And He meets an Asian that becomes the first convert in the church in Philippi. Isn't that funny? It's like God sovereignly brought that together like that. And so, He goes on to say, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you. This is Paul writing this church. He had a deep affection for them. And if you go over to verse 40 of Acts 16, it says, So when they went out of the prison, talking about Paul and the jailer there, and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So there were men in the church now. By the end of chapter 16, there's brothers there. There's brothers. God built that church. And it met in Lydia's home. Paul's first convert in Europe. So what about you? Are you staying in a place of comfort? Avoiding what God's asking you to do? Whose agenda are you following? Where's God working around you? Are you willing to put your plans aside to join Him when He's doing something? Last night... My wife and I were at um, Sierra Grill with our kids, Abby, Becca, and Ellie. And <clears throat> we went to the, sat in the back corner table and, you know, um, it's out in Ponte Vedra and different people come in, but different times. But these two guys walk in and they're black brothers, Derek. They come in and they got gold chains all over their neck and all over their wrist. 
And I admit, I, I was kind of looking at them going, okay, this is kind of interesting because I'd never seen them. We go in there every week and I'd never seen these guys in there before. So I just, questions popped up in my head. Who are they? I wanted to go over and talk to them, but I'm just sitting there watching. And as my daughter, Becca, got up from the table one time, she goes over there and I heard the guy talk to his, it was his son, like a 23 year old son, and he had an accent. And it was like a Jamaican accent or like an island accent. And I'm just watching him watch my girl. And then Abby gets up and I'm watching him watch her. And I admit, my, my first thought with all the gold and everything was not a good thought. I'm thinking, man, this guy, is he a drug guy or what? That's just the first thought that went in my head. And, and so I get up and I go get myself a refill. And I'm looking at him and he looks over at me and he says, that's a good thing, man. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, that's a good thing. And so I go over and introduce myself to him. His name's Mincon. And he says, I told my son, and he talks in that island accent, and he says, um, I told my son, you adopted those girls. He goes, that's a really good thing. And I said, well, that's just half of them, man. I still got more that aren't even here. And I said, sometimes it ain't a good thing. And he, he just listened, and he said, well, i got six kids. And I sat down, and we started talking. And by this time, Lori and the girls get up, and they, they go outside. And, and I spent the next 25 minutes talking to this guy. And we just were talking about life. I talked to him about his faith. And he says, I don't like the church. I'm a person of faith, but I don't like the church. He said, one time I went into a church, the way I was dressed... I thought it was okay, but a guy yelled at me, said, I'm going to hell, I need to repent, and I don't like the church. And I, I said, really? And so we just talked, and so I asked him, I said, so you're a person of faith? And he said, yeah. I said, so let me ask you a question. If you died when you leave here, and you're standing before God, and he said, why should I let you in, Mankong? What would you say? He goes, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm his child, and I believe, and I, you know, I don't do bad things. I try to be a good guy. I try to make good choices. And I said, Mekon, those things don't get you into God's presence. You see, he did it all on the cross and I shared my story with him and began to talk to him. And he's listening and we're connecting and it was, it was just a, it was a great moment. It was like 25 minutes and I, that we talked and then I asked him if I could pray for him. And uh, poor Lori and the kids are out in the car for 25 minutes. And I get in the car, and Ellie goes, what were you doing? And, and Lori goes, really, Ellie? you got to ask? Come on. <laughs> he was talking to him about Jesus. What do you think he was doing? But I wrote down SWAT and the, the address and, and out at the beach because that's where he lived. But a couple of things happened there. One... You know, when I first saw Mincon, things went through my head. Instead of, instead of seeing a person that was a person that could be open to the gospel, other things went through my head. We live in a very toxic culture right now that has created barriers that have amplified barriers. And, and so instead of seeing people as opportunities to share we, we, we see other things, and we, we've got to really step back and say, why are we here? What are we here for? It's not politics. 
We're not here uh, to make money. We're here to be ambassadors, to be God's kingdom priests. And we've got to get out of our comfort zone and we've got to get out of our own agenda and look where God is working. God brought Mencon to Sierra Grill that night, I'm convinced, to have a 30-minute conversation with me. To teach me and to learn from me. And for me to learn from him and to share with him. And it was a beautiful moment. It really was. I walked away from there, and I know I'm going to hear from him again. I know I will. I believe he'll show up out at the beach or he'll text me or something. Or I'm going to see him again. There was a great connection there. And so my encouragement as you walk out those doors today is find where God is working and join him. And get out of your comfort zone. Lord, thank you for the reminder just through Paul and Lydia of the call on our life to represent you to those we meet, those places you take us to share the good news, the hope of the gospel. You are a great and awesome God. I pray for Mencon. I pray for his son, Tyshon. And I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to draw them to you. And uh, Lord, use us as your kingdom priests as we leave today. I pray for many divine opportunities, Lord. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen.